Depends on your definition of few. <clears throat> we share and interact tonight. <clears throat> I would like some feedback from you along the way. I'm going to put two questions on the wall. The first one is, can you prove to me there is a God? Someone says, can you prove to me there is a God? And a second question is it, a, it is obvious something beyond the norm is present in your life. What is it? Will you tell me? Is there a difference in the intent and nature of those two questions? <clears throat> Karen. Okay, more argumentative in the first one and you know, see something in your life and want to know more in the second one. Any other comment? Would you sooner defend or just share a reason why you live the way you do. There is a difference. You usually don't win an argument when it comes to the Bible and spiritual things unless a person is open and willing. Ruth Ann believed in baptism by immersion. I believed in baptism by sprinkling <coughs> And we were dating and we would say to each other, or I would at least say, we had basically agreed she would either become a Mennonite or I would become a Baptist or we would not get married. And then I would say, I'm not becoming a Baptist and go home and I would sleep and she would be not too content. So finally she said to me, uh, will you go talk to my pastor? I said, sure, I'll go talk to your pastor. I knew what he would do. He would try to convince me that he was right and I was wrong. And I went with the mindset, you can say what you want, but you will not convince me. And then when I would attend church with Ruth, and I think every time I went, he always got around to the issue of baptism in some way, shape, or form. What was he trying to do? Convince me against my will. And in relation to our lives, there seems to be a difference when unbelievers observe us living by faith and want to have input from us versus our trying to convince someone. In the last couple of months, we've looked at Hebrews 11 some. We've looked at 1 Peter chapter 3. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 11. Then we'll go to 1 Peter chapter 3. Just going to read some verses. And again, we discussed them in the past, but Hebrews chapter 11, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 10 was encouraging believers to persevere, to endure, to keep going, don't shrink back, be faithful. Then in chapter 11, he gives what might be called God's hall of fame, people who just live by faith. Hebrews 11 and verse 1. Now faith is being sure what we hope for, and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. 
By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Do you ever stop to consider you will not convince someone that God created? You will not win that argument. Because believing in creation is an issue of faith. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Verse 4, by faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch, when taken from this life, so that he did not experience death, he could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Then we find Noah, as mentioned, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and so on. Let's skip down to verse 39, verse 37, Hebrews eleven thirty-seven. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. But they were all commended for their faith. I've been in enough religious debates to know that I've never won one. And some people were trying to convince me, and they never convinced me. Because it comes back to faith in what God says and faith in who God is. You find it interesting that when God asked someone to do something, he didn't try to convince them. He revealed himself. And then in light of who I am, I want you to obey. Hebrews 11 and verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. How do they come? By faith. And with tons of evidence. By faith in what God has revealed. Now go over to 1 Peter, chapter 3. We read this passage this morning and discussed it. And again, Peter is writing to those who are going through persecution. He encourages them, or encourages them who they are in Christ, their inheritance. Verse 13 of chapter 3. Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. That's key there. But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Christ is Lord. So we won't bow to anyone else. We won't bend to pressure. 
Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Now go back to chapter 1. And we see the issue of faith mentioned. 1 Peter 1 and verse 7. Or 6. We'll start with 6. In this you greatly rejoice, that is, in the inheritance that you have, though now for a little while you've had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Verse 7, these have come so that your faith may be proved genuine. What we begin with as we respond to our culture, our children, and our believers, whether it be neighbors, co-workers, students, or friends, determines the outcome. one thing to begin with faith. It's a different thing to begin with an argument to win someone. In light of Scripture, there won't be a comparison, but uh, in light of Scripture, we have faith displayed in obedience. In light of Peter and Colossians and 1 Thessalonians, questions from unbelievers. They're open. They ask. They see a different lifestyle. That results in an explanation of hope, giving a reason. That's different than trying to prove someone wrong. And then there's possible salvation. When I say possible salvation, it depends if the Spirit works and draws them to Christ. God begins with faith. Unbelievers observe opportunity to respond. And again, this is in the context of living with people where people see us, you know, fairly often. Now, when Scripture talks about faith. That does not mean perfection. Faithful people live in perfect lives.
But even how we respond to our sin and our imperfection influences other people. Do you ever consider the life of Moses? Moses had some anger issues. He didn't make it into the promised land because he did not honor God as holy because he got angry and, you know, responded. But yet, Scripture says something about Moses. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be treated, you know, incorrectly along with God's people and so on. Think about Abraham. Abraham, many times we hold up as a trophy a trophy of faith. But Abraham is also the one that uh, had a child by Hagar. But in verse 8 of Hebrews it says, By faith when Abraham was called to go. Overall lifestyle of faith. But yet in the midst of faithfulness, there's failure and so on. Failure is part of living on this earth. Sin is part of living on this earth. That does not mean we're not living by faith. How we process our sin and deal with it determines faith. Again, the way we live and respond makes a difference in how we relate to our culture. Some thoughts. We probably should not seek to answer questions that come from someone who is defensive or looking for evidence before they will believe. Because it's not an issue of trying to convince them. It's an issue of faith. You can't convince someone with reasons. Because those who come to God must come by faith. In what God has revealed about himself. Rather, we probably should talk to them concerning the reason for their defensiveness. And Lord willing, next week or the following week on Sunday morning, we'll look at Romans chapter 1. Why do people get defensive? Why are people out to say, you've got to prove to me there is a God. You've got to prove to me that God's not right when he allows suffering and so on. How do they get to that point? They've already rejected God's revelation of his wrath against the ungodlessness and wickedness of men. And they've gone down another road. And I'll use myself as an example. <clears throat> I went to talk to Pastor Baker. He was going to convince me that baptism by immersion was right and sprinkling was not the biblical mode of baptism. He could not convince me because I was not willing to have faith. 
I was not willing to take God at his word. So I could go to church and he could bring up baptism in some way, shape, or form when I appeared. And I would just walk away, stubborn as a bull. You may say what you want, Pastor Baker, but you won't convince me. I was a believer, but still was resistant. It's an issue of faith, coming to God by faith. What does God say? I'll accept it. See, when we don't have faith, then we get defensive. And we want someone to show us wrong. So we might ask someone, do you know why you're so against God as creator? You say someone who's defensive and wants an explanation is against God? Yeah. They're against God. They want proof. But God doesn't give proof. He talks about faith. We discussed Job a few weeks back. God didn't give Job any proof of who he was. He revealed himself with a bunch of questions, and Job repented. He was willing to say, God, I don't need any explanation whatsoever. (laughs) I've seen you. So a very bitter person who may have been through some difficulty, who's a non-believer who may have lost a child to some disease. You explain to me how a loving God can allow my child to die like that, and I'll believe in your God. You'll never explain it to them because there's no faith. A better question would be, do you know why you're so angry at God? Do you know why you're against God as creator? I'm not against God, am I? The very nature of your question says you're against God. Do you know why you're against him? Because you have rejected what he has revealed in creation, Romans 1. Might also ask, Do you know why you're demanding answers before you will believe? And again, depends on the person as to what kind of answers they might, or answer they might give. So if Pastor Baker would have said to me, Hey Dan, why are you so dead set in thinking you're right? Now he's throwing the ball back in my court. Because I have to be right to be worthwhile as a person. Ooh. Now you, so you're finding your worth in being right. And not in God. See, now we enter a different ballgame. So someone very bitterly says, you proved to me and give an explanation as to why God would allow my child to die with this horrible disease. I'll believe in God. Maybe respond with, why are you so demanding? Why do you need an answer before you'll believe? 
Or perhaps, what is the long-term impact of your belief? That is your belief system. What's the long-term impact of your belief system? If you're going to continue to believe this way, what's going to happen? You're going to continue to say there is no God. Okay, there's no God. Let's suppose you follow your belief system. What's going to be true in 100 years from now? Well, I guess I'll not be existing because I don't believe there's God and there's no eternity. Okay. You ever stop to consider that if there is a God, what might happen? See, we're not trying to defend. We're trying to get them to think from our faith and our walk with God. It's so easy to think we have to equip people to have all the right answers. And that's not wrong. But I think greater than that is that we just live by faith so that people ask us questions because of how we're living. Questions raised by those who see your normal, radical faith are much different than those coming to prove us wrong. Many times people want to prove Christians wrong. But when someone is asking you a question, that is much, much different. So radical question. And I'm not looking for an answer, just a thought question. Is our faith evident in our daily lives? Standing in marked contrast to unbelievers that they see a difference. I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about our outlook on life. I found it interesting in light of some things that are happening in our world, you know, what happened in France and so on. A fair number of Americans are scared. Have you considered your response to that may open a door to reason with them concerning God? I've heard this statement or question, depends on how it's worded, quite often. How can people be so evil that they would do such terrible stuff? That's a wide open door. Walk through it. By faith, walk through it. Maybe take them to Romans 1 and say, they've rejected God as creator. They've worshipped and served the created thing rather than the creator. And God has let them go. And they go further and further and further away from God. And let God do a work. 
you know, just living faithfully has a tremendous impact. Sometimes we think that if we're going to reach people, we have to offer something that will attract them. Our loaded question here. What can you offer a spiritually dead person that will attract them? Pardon? Convictive sin, you've got to offer Christ, but is Christ attractive apart from conviction? The Spirit has to convict. But if you can offer a spiritually dead person something that will attract them, apart from the Spirit convicting, it's probably something that appeals to their sinful nature. We can't attract spiritually dead people. But Peter seems to be saying, Hebrews 11 seems to be saying, that as we live out our faith day by day in the routine of life, people will ask questions. I'm not saying everyone, but they seem to come along. They see a difference. And then they wonder, and that opens the door. That's the Spirit working. our lives. It's interesting as you read the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 19 before God gave the Ten Commandments to Israel you'll find that God says I want you as the nation of Israel to be a holy people, a special people and contrast that with the last book in the Old Testament Malachi chapter 1 he says you failed why did he want them to be a holy people because that was to open the door to the Gentiles to be interested in God as they saw a holy nation. And that comes over into the New Testament as believers, as the body of Christ seeks to live godly. Jerry, you want to take me to challenging and thought-provoking? Challenging and thought-provoking. Questions or comments before we go on? Faith. I emphasize faith. I emphasize the way we live. So, for us to think about and ponder, God honors faith. His economy is based upon faith. Not reasoning, not defending, not explanations. Hebrews 11, he holds up faith. First Peter, he holds up faith. Colossians 4, he holds up faith. Just living in obedience to God. When we blow it, we admit it. Bathe in God's forgiveness and go on. So looking for a response, what are the practical implications for parents and local churches? If God honors faith, What are the practical implications for parents and local churches? The aroma of Christ. And some will come because the Spirit is working, and others will run because 
the Spirit is not working. Do you ever uh, have someone, you know, you come into contact with someone and you think, <laughs> what they have on, you know, deodorant, cologne, or whatever? No, there's an aroma. These same believers are to cause unbelievers to. <laughs> what is it about them? No, it's faith. Any other response? What are the practical implications for parents in local churches? Perhaps one of the best things a local church or parents can offer children is older people who live by faith. They may not have all the explanations. They may not be able to give detailed answers and they they may not be Bible scholars, but they've just lived by faith. We in America do very well at dividing people according to ages. Children and teenagers need to be with older people who just love God and have been faithful and continue to be faithful. In light of Scripture, that will do more and teaching them how to defend their faith. And I'm not opposed to teaching younger people how to defend their faith, but it'll do more because they're seeing faithful people. I think that's one reason a church should be concerned that they have older people and middle-aged and younger. It's a good thing. I think it's great when families get together and you have multiple generations and the older talk. And for what it is worth. Maybe it's not as true as it used to be. But uh, kids used to be told. And when you're in the presence of older people. You're to be seen and not heard. Now there's some merit to that. Because older people have something to offer. If they've been walking with God. So if you're going to talk, learn to ask questions. To this day, I still have a policy of life. When I'm around someone older, I'll try to ask questions. And if I'm around someone younger, then I'm willing to talk more. (laughs) I think that's an implication of a church, of a family. God honoring faith. Go to skip number two and go to three. Let's teach young people to know God, Christ, exercise faith, and chase after models of older saints who are faithful. Ask a teenager, who are your heroes? Ask someone in their 20s and 30s, who are your heroes? 
we should say, be teaching young people to uh, make heroes of those who are older and walk faithfully. Has a tremendous impact. Beware. Ray, go ahead. Again, as we live our lives, look for opportunities you know, to relate, to share with people and encourage our young people and model that. And I was going to mention before Jay sh- or Ray shared, beware when a teenager as heroes that are teenagers or in their early 20s. Because a teenager has not lived long enough and in their early 20s has not lived long enough to model a life of faith. They may be faithful, but they need someone older who has been through life and remains faithful. So in our culture, and I'm not being critical of our culture, whether it be Christians or non-Christians, we idolize sports figures. We idolize musicians. Do we idolize Hebrews 11 people? And those who have been in the mission field and served faithfully for years, do we know this? those who have faithfully served in missions? And I've died and going to be with the Lord. Emphasizing faith. Again, for God's glory. I don't think the primary issue is a lack of evidence of creation. Or lack of evidence, but lack of faith. This is an unwillingness to respond to God's revelation. God has already revealed himself in creation. Again, look at Romans 1, Lord willing, next week or the following week. And what we do with creation determines where we end up. So our kids go to school and a science teacher may say, here's how the earth got here and you know, go through the whole process of evolution. And 
and a student may raise their hand and say, Teacher, I got a question. Your belief in evolution, where is that going to lead you in 20 years or 30 years or 50 years? Your belief in evolution, where has it led our nation? Not asking that in a negative or critical way. But again, it's not an issue of evidence. And the teacher may respond, well, you bring evidence of creation and I may believe. And the student would probably be wise to respond with all due respect. Teacher, I can't bring you any evidence that will bring you to faith. Because you have already rejected what God has revealed. See, the evidence is good for those that already believe because it just reaffirms their faith. Some of you may have seen God is, God is not dead. In a way about a professor and a student, you know, who would not sign God is dead. And the bottom line with the professor was, He had an issue with God. He was bitter at God. Anyone who does not accept God as creator has already taken a turn. Is not willing to glorify God as creator. They're not willing to have faith in what God has revealed. And that leads down a path. Not good. But we can't convince them. We have to bring them back to the core issue. What have you done about God as creator? Any comments before we pray together? So I think we live in great times. Say, Pastor, are you crazy? Think of all the open doors we have to talk about God in light of the evil that is so very, very present. How we can teach young people why there is so much evil. How to have faith in God. How to walk with God. We're very, very concerned who's going to get elected in the next presidential election. Depends who the Democratic nominee is and who the Republican nominee is. But it's still an issue of are we willing to live by faith? That God is sovereign. He's working out his will. And whoever gets elected will let it be in God's will. Some of us may be upset at our current president at times. Do we believe that God put him there? Do we believe that God sets up rulers and takes them down. See, that's an issue of faith. We don't like it. We don't think it's good. But we don't always understand what God's doing. Again, faith. Taking God at his word. Father, we thank you for your grace, your goodness. Thank you for the saints in Hebrews 11 
who live by faith. And we know that we come to you by faith. And we can think about evidence. There's tons of evidence that you're a creator. We can look at history and see tons of evidence. But we still know that evidence will not convince someone that you're a creator because believing in you as creator is an issue of faith in light of what you have revealed through creation. May we live well in our daily lives, as Ray mentioned, talking to some guys, as we relate to family, as we relate to friends, as we relate to co-workers or students. May we just be sensitive as we live by faith that you will give us opportunity to interact with others. The issue is not how frequent that may may happen, Father, but our being faithful. We want to be faithful. In Christ's name, amen.